You know, um, we've been looking at four promises, the promises of God. Yeah, and uh, we've been looking at it from Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, where, where God gives the Israelites four promises of bringing them out of Egypt. Whenever we see the word Egypt, it's representative of the world. It's a shadow of the world. And so as much as these promises are to the Israelites, they are also promises to us because God has brought us up and out of the world as much as God has brought the Israelites up and out of Egypt. And the world is not something that we should fear. Uh, light always shines best in darkness. Come on. Uh, I, I don't like these Christians that get saved and it's all oh, the world, the world, the world. No, 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 no. You don't get saved out of the world. You get saved out of it to go back into it, to shine brightly and to bring light where there's darkness. Here's the crazy thing is, is that light Darkness can't refuse light. Did you know that? You, you turn a light on in a dark room and darkness can't refuse it. Come on. Talk to me this morning. They can't refuse it because light always dominates darkness. And so you need to understand that we are called to be the light of the world. So there's no situation that you walk into that is above and beyond you, that is bigger than you, that is more scary than you because light always eliminates darkness. And so we have to understand that when we come to these four promises, because sometimes we live life where we don't believe that God can actually do what God says he can do. Well, Ireland or Lungi, whichever you want to call her, with a split personality, um, she is proof that the promises come to pass. That is a saved, delivered, and redeemed girl right there. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm going to read you from 6 to 7, and we're going to look at the last promise, but I want to tell you that this stuff is for real. This is how it works. This is who you are. It's not what you are becoming. It's what he has already promised to do for you. And so it says in verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will. Everybody say, I will. Bring you out from under the oppression of the Egyptians. Everyone with me. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with a powerful arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up out from under the oppression of the Egyptians. How many people say know that when God says I will, it means he's going to do it? He's not a man that he should lie. He does what he says he's going to do. And these are I will statements as I will do this. I will save you is the first promise. I will bring you out from under the oppression. I will save you. The second promise is, is I will deliver you. Because how many people know it's one thing to be saved, it's another thing to be delivered. How many people understand that salvation is instant, but deliverance is a process. The day you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are saved. But it takes time for some of our attitudes and some of our issues, as, as Ireland shared this morning with unforgiveness and that towards, it takes time for God to deliver us from things. And then he redeems us. And what does he redeem us? He redeems us for a purpose. He gives us some, he has a plan for our lives and he redeems us for the purpose. And the last promise we're going to look at, they call it the promise of praise. The promise of praise. Why? Because he saved us, he's delivered us, he's redeemed us, now we praise him. It's a promise that we will be his people and he will be our God. It's about being part of God's kingdom, being his son and his daughter and having a family to belong to. It's about knowing that you are part of something bigger than yourself and working alongside others 
to fulfill God's plan. That's what the promise of praise is about. It's about understanding that I am loved, that I am accepted, that I am a son and daughter of God, that I'm part of a family, and not only that, I'm part of something that's so much bigger than I could ever imagine or believe. And, and so that causes us to, to, to come to a place where, where the promise of praise happens when we start to live out all the things that we've dreamed in our lives that we could ever do. All the dreams that we've had, we start to live them out, and this promise of praise comes to pass. Why? Because as we start to live out our purposes, as we start to live out the promises of God, people can't help but see that that you are His children and that He is your God, and it brings about a praise in your life just by living your life that gets the world's attention. Paul, Apostle Paul put it this way, he said, we are epistles seen of and read of by men, which means that more people read your life than read your, read the Bible. You are a walking Bible. People read you and they decide that who God is is based on how you behave. Scary thought, isn't it, really, when we start to think about the way that we carry on. But I believe that this promise of praise is the greatest way to live. It's the greatest promise out of all four promises because what it says is that my life just illuminates the greatness of who God is. Uh, pastor Tommy Barnett, who's the pastor of uh, First uh, Assembly of Phoenix, or Phoenix First Assembly of God or whatever the name it is, in Arizona, he's 70-something years of age. He's, he's got a church of, uh, I think the church is about 20,000 people. They have over 400 weekly ministries into their community. And he also helped co-found uh, with his son, Matthew Barnett, the Dream Center in Los Angeles, which is a church that runs for 24-7. It, it's non-stop. It's always going. They have, uh, I think it is, they have something like 30 different services in a weekend and Spanish and all sorts of different languages and over 30,000 people in the church. They, they brought a hospital, a 400-bed hospital, and, and, which is for drug addicts and alcoholics and prostitutes, and they rehabilitate them and get them. They, they do all sorts of things, amazing stuff. This man has accomplished more than, than I would ever dream of, of what I could accomplish in my life. But when they asked him if he had any regrets, 70 years of age, did he have any regrets? He said, yes, I have two regrets. One, that I didn't dream bigger and two, that I didn't risk more. A man that's accomplished so much and his two biggest regrets was is that he didn't dream bigger and he didn't risk more. I wonder how many of us sit back here this morning and would be the same. How many of us would have regrets about some of the decisions we've made or some of the things that we've done? You know, we hear the statement sometimes from people and people say things like, I'm living the dream. And usually it's taken in two ways, yes? There's living the dream as in, man, my life is going awesome. And then there's the sarcastic side where, yeah, living the dream, you know? You know what I'm talking about, yes? Hello? You know, when, you, when your kids have decided that they're going to, you know, when they're little babies and they decide that they're going to um, come out of both ends, you know, and you get those ones that go, out of the nappy and all the way up the back and you're having to clean it all up and it's like, I'm living the dream, yeah? It's a, woo, this is awesome. But the thing is, is that whether you use it in a positive manner or a sarcastic manner, the reality is, is that God really, it is intention, biblically, scripturally, it's actually he intends you to literally live out your dreams. 
God's intention is that you literally live out the dreams that are placed inside of you. God's ultimate plan for your life is not just to be filled, but to be full. For your life to be full and filled, to be fulfilled. He wants you to live a life that is fulfilling, not just filled with things and not just full of things, but to be a fulfilled life, a great life, a life that you really love, that you've always wanted. John 10.10 says this, that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose, God's purpose, is to give life and all its fullness. You know, I, I think it's really interesting. I love that translation because it says my purpose. <laughs> it's my purpose. It's what I set out to do. It's what I live for. It's, it's, it's everything about who I am. My purpose is to give you a full life, a life of fullness. And from what I've noticed in most people's lives, not many people reach this last promise. I think most people that I've met or pastored or known through the years have somewhere got stuck in one of the promises along the way. They've ever got stuck where they've been saved, but they've never been delivered, and so they're in and out of the kingdom of God, and they're in for a while, and then they're out for a while, and then they're in for a while, and they're, and they're just stuck in this perpetual promise of salvation. And then there are others that are just stuck in this perpetual thing of of deliverance, and this constantly uh, finding things wrong with themselves that nobody else can find wrong with themselves. I'm waiting for you to catch up with me. You know, people that go on a witch hunt in their own lives trying to find things wrong with you. Can I encourage you? You don't need to find things wrong with you. You don't need to go look for problems. Problems will come to you. And when it comes to issues in your life, when God's ready, he'll address it. Come on. Sometimes I think we find things that are wrong with us and we try to fix it, we make a mess of it, because God's like, man, it's just not the time for that now. I'll, I'll deal with that when I'm ready to deal with it. Right now, you're not ready for that, and so you try to fix it anyway, and you make a big mess of it, and then you end up with more problems. You know what? Can you just relax in your Christian walk and trust that the God that is leading you is also the God that will convict you when you need something to happen? Come on. He's the comforter. He's the teacher. Why don't you let him deal with your life instead of you trying to make things happen? And then there are some people that are just stuck in redemption. They're just stuck in a cycle of what is it that God wants me to do with my life? And I don't know. And sure, my brother was like that. He, 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 from the age that he left school at the age of 17 to the age of 35, he had over 25 jobs because he just couldn't work out what he wanted to do with his life. He's stuck in this perpetual cycle of what is it that God's called me to do until he found outdoor education, absolutely loved it, and did it for seven years before Jesus took him home. But I want to tell you, I never saw him happier. I saw him happier in the seven years of his life when he found his purpose than I did in the 35 years that beforehand. And so I think that there's a problem that people get stuck along the way, and I I think they get stuck because even if they do discover what their calling is or a sense of what it is, we just have this fear of living it out. I think that we, we, we are, conv I'm convinced that we have a fear-based uh, procrastination that keeps us from living 
the fullness of our lives. I, th- I think we think about things a lot about what it is that we really want to do. Or you might get a, you, you, you know, sometimes when you get that feeling on the inside and you get all excited about, yeah, I'm going to do this, and, and it lasts for like all of about two hours, and so you start thinking about all the reasons why it can't happen. And then we just live in this perpetual cycle where it comes back up again, and you get excited about it again, and then you give up on it again. And the reason why it keeps coming up is because God's placed that dream in you, and and God actually has a plan for your life. And the ultimate purpose of these four promises that God gives us of salvation, of deliverance, of redemption, and of praise is because he wants us to live the unlived life that's within us. So many of us have a life on the inside of us that has not been lived yet. Oh, I'm too old. You're never too old. The Bible says that greater are the latter days than the former days. You're never too old. Jesus, you're going to remember his ministry only lasted three years and he changed the entire world and entire history. You, you might be in your 70s or 80s or 90s, but God can do in you in three years what you think it takes a lifetime. And so, friend, t- trust me, there are lives on the inside of us that just haven't been lived yet. God has placed those dreams. God has placed those desires in you for a reason. And he didn't give you the dream so that you could constantly feel frustrated and defeated about it. If God is a good God, why would he give you a dream or a desire to do something with your life and then never, ever let you do it? Why would he put the carrot in front of the horse and just put it at a distance that you're always reaching but never getting? You would, you would think I was a horrible father if my kids on Christmas morning got up and, I, and their present was there. And as they went to get their present, it shifted. And as they went to get it the next time, it shifted. And, as, and it, it kept on shifting it. For the rest of their lives, I just shift that present all over the house. And the minute they get close to it, I just shift it somewhere else. And the minute they get close to it, I just shift it somewhere else. You, you would be like, man, that is so, you're such a bad dad. It would be kind of funny at first. <laughs> but you'd be like, you're such a bad dad doing that. To, how could you do that to your kids? Well, if God is a good God, and if you being a human father, when your son asks for stone, you give him bread, is what the Bible teaches, how much more will God, our heavenly father, do for those who ask? You know, we just got to start believing that as much as we say, you know, I really, I'll be honest with you, I don't really like this statement, but I'm going to make it this morning. You know the statement we always do, God is good all the time. What a lie. The church doesn't believe that. Because if we really believe that, we'd go after our dreams. Really, what the church believes is God is good most of the time. Most of the time, God is good. Hopefully, fingers crossed. As long as I pass my exams. See, maybe you can't imagine how your dream could ever come about. Maybe your dream is so huge that you can't even imagine how how could this ever happen. Can I just say something this morning? Maybe that's how it's meant to be. Because then God does it and not you. Maybe the dream's meant to be beyond you. 
because then God doesn't. I don't know about you, but I have a beautiful, wonderful 16-year-old daughter. She's the 15, 15. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. She didn't say 15 a little bit longer. And uh, her, her, her idea of a great Christmas present this year would be a MacBook Pro, wouldn't it? How many people know a MacBook Pro is beyond her? How many parents know that most of the things that your kids want for Christmas is beyond them? It's reliant on you to make it happen. And in this case, honey, that's not going to happen. But, uh, but how many people know that it's the same with God? It's beyond us. It's beyond us. But I think that's a great thing. I think that if we pray prayers that are capable within our own strength, we are nearsighted, we are narrow in our thinking, we are praying small, and we don't do the world any favours by praying small. We don't do the world any favours by dreaming small. We need to get hold of the dreams that God has given us, and we, we can't afford to bury our dreams and bury our talents because of fear. We just can't afford to worry and doubt that God's not going to come through for us. Now, I understand that you've got to have smarts as well. God doesn't expect you to, oh, I'm going to have, I believe God wants me to have a Ferrari. So you go out and buy one and get yourself an, God's given you a brain as well. Yes, come on. But he's also given you dreams. And if that's dream, the dream is to one day own a Ferrari, then God will also give you the brains and the processes and the ideas for you to be able to attain that without putting yourself into a huge amount of debt. Come on, he's a good God. He's not a, he's not a God that puts you into bondage. And So we allow fear. We bury our dreams with our fear. We bury dreams with laziness. Yes? Come on, let's be honest this morning. We bury dreams with laziness. Ah, you know, it's like with me, I have a dream of... Um, of uh, getting down to a certain weight, and I've been working kind of hard at it until about eight weeks ago. <laughs> winter kicked in. Who wants to go running in winter? It's far nicer in front of the heat pump. You know, and so everything starts going out the window, but the reality is the reason why I'm getting up and going for a run or going for a walk or doing exercise because I'm lazy. So the dream ain't going to happen because of laziness. It's, it's nothing to do with God, and it's nothing to do with the devil, and it's nothing to do with anything else. It's just I'm lazy. Come on. And some of us, the reason why we don't see our dreams come to pass is not because God doesn't love us. It's not because the devil's against us. It's because we're lazy. We're lazy. I remember Pastor Jurgen once saying to Pastor Phil Pringle, why is it that I can't finish this book? You know, I'm writing a book. I've only got one more chapter to write, and I just can't get it finished. And Pastor Phil Pringle said to him, it's because you're lazy. He was expecting to get some sort of spiritual insight. It's because of you know, this and that. It's because you're lazy. Finish the book. Don't be lazy. You know what? The next day you finish the book. I'm telling you. Come on. Sometimes you just need to be told it's not happening because you're lazy. Come on. This woman that I'm married to, beautiful woman, Trinity, she's incredibly sexy, um, is, is, is not lazy. I'm lazy. <laughs> She's not lazy. She's got like four schools that she looks after, plus what she does here at the church, plus, plus you know, being an amazing wife, an amazing mum, and all those sort of things. And then she comes to me and she goes, oh, I think I might do some theological study. So now she's doing theological papers on top of running four schools, 
It's just like, are you insane? It's like, why would you want to take up your evening with study when you can watch TV? Hey? And then I'm thinking, maybe I should do some theological study. Hey? How many people know that was a fleeting thought for all of about five seconds until I realized, yeah, I'm too lazy. But to be honest with you, it's not my dream yet. But some of the reasons why dreams don't come to pass is because of fear, some is because of laziness, and then others because of short-sightedness. We get so consumed with what's happening now that we fail to see what could be later. You know, if the Bible's true that what you sow is what you reap, then when we start, when we live our lives, we need to think harvest, not sowing. We need to think, what harvest do I want? And what's it going to require of me to sow now? Because you can't sow onions now and in six months' time hope they become pumpkins. It doesn't happen. And so some of the things that you have in your life which you think is God being unfair or the devil being mad, mean to you is really because of things that you sowed without thinking about it because you were so short-sightedness that you did things for the now instead of thinking about what the then is going to look like. And so can I, can I help you a little bit this morning, help move you towards the dreams that God has for you? I, I want to give you um, a, a thing, and some of you, it's, it's like, this is mind-blowing, changing, life-changing stuff. Um, it's not something I do well, but I know some people who do it really well, like Gene is a genius at this. Make a list. How incredibly powerful and spiritual is that? Make a list. Make a list. Make a list in three areas of your life. First, relational pursuits. Second, ministry pursuits. Oh, but I'm not in full-time ministry. Friend, if you're a Christian, if you are, uh, have invited Jesus Christ into your life, you are in ministry. Whether you're at home, in the workplace, in the supermarket, you are in ministry. If you are a businessman, you are in ministry. It's called business. Hey, come on, don't, don't limit ministry to just what happens at the pulpit, because if we do that, we're in real trouble, because what happens here is nothing compared to what you can do out there. So second thing is ministry pursuits, and the third thing is thrills. What, what thrills? Yeah, just some fun stuff, some cool stuff. I've always wanted to do a bungee jump. I've done it, hated every minute of it, but I've done it. So that's off the bucket list, yeah? Another thing that I've always wanted to do is parachute out of a plane. I just can't get enough courage to do that. I got some crazy dream. One of my other thrill dreams, well, and actually one of my relational pursuits is that one day I want to take my family to Disneyland. It's like, how's that going to happen? I have no idea. See, you want to put things on the list that will happen, and you want to put things on the list that are just crazy and ridiculous and maybe will, in your thinking will never happen. Why? Because I guarantee something. If you, whatever target you have, you'll hit it. Whether it be something or whether it be nothing, you'll hit it. You'll hit whatever target you aim for. And so for me, friend, it's just like, man, I, I just want to put some things on my list that are just well within my means and then other things that are just absolutely crazy ridiculous. Yeah, so like within my means is on my relational list is, a, is to make sure that my anniversary next year, 23rd it'll be, is just unbelievable. And so I'll plan towards that and I'll make sure I'm really, really excited that there's a six-star hotel about to open in Auckland in the next 12 months because it's like beyond five-star. Imagine taking Trinity to a six-star hotel. I'll be like, 
husband of the year. You know, those things are within my grasp, but then there are some other things, like one of my relational goals is, is that when the kids leave home, <laughs> praise the Lord, that we go to the Greek islands and go on one of them sailing ships and just cruise around the Greek islands together. It's a beyond what I think I can accomplish, but I believe that God can do it. There are ministry goals. There are goals. I have a goal, ministry goal, that we'd see a church of 3,000 regular attenders every single Sunday morning here. So that's 3,000 on a Sunday morning, which means about 6,000 in total in the church. That's a big dream. That's beyond me. Yeah? But then I also have a goal that by the end of this year that I would have written a new Christians program and those are all within. So you want to put things on your list that are within your capabilities and those that are just ridiculous. They're just crazy. May, may never happen, but heck, what the heck, let's trust God and put them on the list anyway. Yes? How does that sound? Does that sound good to you? Yeah. One or two of you. Why, why do we need a list? Because when you have a list, I don't know about you, but you know you have those lists of jobs that need to be done around the house. How satisfying it is as you tick each one of those off. Yeah, doesn't it feel great? That's been accomplished. And so when we have these lists and there are different areas of our lives, be it relational, be it ministry, or just fun stuff, as we tick those things off, it brings a happiness to our lives. It brings a, a remembrance that we're, we're actually living out our dreams. I wouldn't say that it's the key to happiness, but I think it's a key to happiness. The ability to actually see, wow, this has happened, and that has happened, and this has happened, and that has happened. It's a great thing. It encourages you. It it builds faith in your life. Uh, But I believe this wholeheartedly, that the happiest people on the face of the planet are the people that help others. I think the people that are happiest are the people who feel like they're making a difference in people's lives. Nothing made you happier this morning than hearing Ireland's testimony. As much as you cried, I didn't. (laughs) As much as you cried, it made you incredibly happy. And somebody, somewhere along the way, mainly her phenomenal mother and and grandparents, have an input into her life which has caused that transformation to take place. And nothing brings more joy to our lives than to see other people's lives transform. Why? Because that's how God designed us to be. God designed us to see people's lives change. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. It's men and women. A divinely implanted sense of a purpose, working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy, yet so men cannot find out what has do- God has done from the beginning to the end. What's he saying? He's basically saying this, that God has put something on the inside of each and every one of us that only finds its satisfaction in God working it out in our lives. Nothing else bring satisfaction other than that. And if you try to find it, you never will because it can only be found in him. And there's something amazing about serving other people, about loving on other people, about making a difference in people's lives. It's the same thing that was why God so loves us. It's the thing, it's the reason why when someone gets saved, heaven has a party because there's a difference that's been made in somebody's life. And I want to encourage you that God too has these things. God has a plan for you and, and it's a plan for all sorts of stuff, but there's also a plan in there that you would make a difference in somebody's world, in somebody's life, that you too can sit 
sit back and hear a testimony like Islands one day and say, hey, I had a role in that. I had a plan there. I had a hand in that. You know, when I was in, uh, you had a role in, in something really awesome that happened in Fiji as, as I, I spoke on offense there because in the islands, people can get very easily offended. And, and I really wanted to, to deal with that. And, um, and I mean, people get really offended everywhere, but there's just some offences in the life of the church in Fiji that I wanted to speak to. And I had one of the one of the elders come up to me after uh, a couple of days, and I wasn't really sure how they were taking all this because I was kind of saying things like, you know, when your culture values are not in line with kingdom values, you need to forget your culture. So there's some some things that were. We're hard. You know those scriptures that says if you don't forgive others then God won't forgive you. Those scriptures we like to just pull out of the Bible and stick them somewhere else for another time. And he came up to me and says, I came away from your meeting and I realized that I had done some things wrong to my children and my upbringing of them. And so my husband and I sat down with our children and we asked for their forgiveness for what we had done. And then on the Sunday, their daughter came to church for the first time in 12 months. Regave her life to Jesus Christ. I don't know any of this. And you played a role in all that. You played a role in every single part of that, of a family being restored and a girl's life being given back to Jesus Christ. You played a role in that. You think you didn't because you're at work, but you played a role in that. Because you sent me from here so that we could see God do something awesome. I want to tell you there, I keep going, otherwise I'm going to be way too long. There's an American psychologist called Abraham Maslow. Everyone say Maslow. And he believed that we seek fulfillment from our most basic of needs and that people are motivated by their pursuits of solutions to these needs. And he developed what they call a hierarchy of needs. All right, stick with me. I'm going to teach you something this morning. He believed as we achieve and become secure at each level of these needs that we become aware of the next level of need and so we take action to obtain it. And so, in other words, what he's saying is that there's eight needs on the hierarchy of needs. He only came up with four initially, but there have been four that have been added to it. And really what he's saying is that as each one of these needs are fulfilled, you discover the next need and the next need and the next need. And if you stick with me, I think there'll be something really, really cool at the end of all of this. And so as we consider each one of these needs, I want you to take some time as we're talking about it and think about how much of your energy and time goes into each of every one of these needs. Are you ready? First one is physical needs. Physical needs, such as air, food, water, shelter, warmth, and sleep. Those are all needs, yes? Okay. Nobody needs those needs. You don't need... Those are all needs that we require, every single one of them. I didn't get much sleep in Fiji because I had games at four o'clock in the morning of the sevens and all I could hear was, go Fiji, go Fiji, while I'm trying to sleep. But studies show that 85% of people have this basic need met. The second need is safety needs. First one is physical needs. The second need that you have is safety needs. We need protection from the elements as well as security, law and order, limits and stability. It's, it's why we lock our doors. It's why we do things like self-defense. It's why we stay with what's familiar, because it's safe. Even if it's not good for us, we stay with some things that are familiar because it's safe. And 
studies say that 75% of people have these needs met. The third one is love needs. Everyone longs to be loved. Everyone longs to belong. We need family. We need affection. We need healthy relationships. This is why social media is so popular. Because it's this need of relationships. As bad as they are over social media, it's a need. People want to be connected to other people. And they want to be connected in a really meaningful way. And statistics say that 50% of people have this need need. The fourth one is, is esteem needs. Esteem needs. And these include self-esteem, achievement, recognition, a desire to be valued and appreciated. It's all about what we think about us and what others think about us and what we think others think about us. It's really important to us. It's about our appearance and our clothes and the kind of house we have and the car we have, all those things. The reason why we wear some of the clothes we wear or the reason why your wife this morning, husband, asked you, how does this look on me? is because she, she wants to appear well. It's part of her esteem needs. She needs to be told that she looks pretty and amazing and beautiful. I'm helping you out here, ladies. Give me some encouragement here. Yeah? When she says, does my bum look big in these jeans? Say, no, those jeans look big on your bum. It's, it's really simple. All those things, just joking, okay? Those esteem needs. Your kids, you know, when, especially when they're little, you know, and they do something, and, and you, you know, they bring home, you, you've all done this, they bring home a picture from kindy or something. You have no idea what it is. You're looking at it and you're like, it just looks like scribble. Look at this picture, Dad. And it also, it's a, oh my God. Oh man. You're like, oh, Picasso. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. And then they say, what is it? <laughs> you tell me what it is. <laughs> you don't really like the picture, but you say how amazing it is. Why? Because your kid needs to be esteemed. Yes. They cook for you one night and you take one bite and you're like, oh Jesus. Oh, 800, 83, 83, 83, Pizza Hut. And they say, how did it taste? And you go, it's awesome. Can I have some more? Why? Because kids need esteem. We all need esteem. We all need those things. We all need, it's a need that we have. So those first four are just the basic needs that we have, yeah? The basic needs that we have. We need physical needs. We need to breathe. It is pretty important. Safety needs, love needs, esteem needs. And those are all, all needs that we need just, just to live, yes? But the next four needs out of the eight are the needs that we need to grow. To grow. They are what they call the growth needs. Things that contribute to our growth and our fulfillment in life. They are more abstract and they're more long-term than some of the others. But they represent what brings true fulfillment in somebody's life. Um, and these were added to the list after Maslow's original group, okay? But let me give them quickly to you and we'll be finished because I'm going to do the second half of this message next week, even though I was meant to finish it this week, but there's just too much to say. Number five of growth, first growth need, which is number five of all your needs, is cognitive needs. Cognitive needs. We all need mental stimulation, yes? Some of you are like, my 16-year-old son, 
Oh, PlayStation. Oh. It's mental stimulation. We all, we all like knowledge. Hey, Trinity. Even if it is useless. She should have gone and mastered my man because she just has information about all sorts of things that nobody in the world cares about, but she knows it. It's really awesome. I love her to pieces. I love it. It's so cute. We all like to understand the meaning of things. Yes, that's why at age of two, we have these children that walk around our house going, why, 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 why? You know, because they, they need to understand. They, it's cognitive need. It's a stimulation. We love solutions. We, we want and need to understand how certain things work and, and, how, and how they change. And it's important to us. It's a, it's a cognitive need. And it's part of our growth as we discover new things and how things work. It, it allows us to grow. As kids discover words and learn to read, it's cognitive. It, it allows them to grow. The sixth one, sixth, sixth one is... <laughs> You're going to have to forgive me if I get this wrong. No one laughing. Ascetic needs. Did I get that right? All right, cool. People like order and they like beauty and like it to be a consistent part of their lives. That's why we all have certain passions for things like the beach. How many people here just love the beach? Yeah? It's just like you, you're like, you love it. You even go there in winter and swim. Yeah. I think it's your mental. Oh, what about there's some people here, man, the beach doesn't really do it for me, but mountains. I love mountains. Like my idea of a great weekend is a Tongariro crossing or going up the pinnacles. That's my idea of a great weekend, yeah? Yeah, it's just different. Some people, it's animals, yeah? You love them to pieces, all kinds, even those horrible possums. You think they're just, oh, thank you. They're a pest. They deserve to die. Um... For some, it's, it's, and some, it's, you know, the sun on your back. It's like, oh man, I feel alive. That's why I think when we go through winter and, and, in society, everyone's okay at the start of winter, but by the end of winter, everyone's kind of depressed and, you know, church numbers drop and going to work today. All of a sudden, spring kicks in, a bit of sun comes out and everyone's like, ah, life is amazing. Yes? These needs, these needs reflect why we like what we like. They, they reflect the, why we like a style of one house over another house. You know, you walk into somebody's house, oh, I don't like that, oh, I don't like because it's not your house. <laughs> they like it because it's their house. But they probably walk into your house and go, oh, I don't like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's why we like to sing. It's why we like to draw or paint or write or design clothes. That's why we like certain paintings and not others. They're aesthetic needs. They're, the, they're, they're just the way that we like things. And when we discover what we like in this area, it causes a growth to happen in us. When we discover that we love to sing, growth happens. When we discover that we love to draw, growth I would love to be able to sing, draw, paint. I can't do that. Um, it's, it's just, it's, if you've ever seen me paint, it's an abomination. I'd love to be able to do that. And, and those are all those things. It's the seventh thing or the third thing in our growth curve is self-actualization needs. Self-actualization. It's a need to realize our personal potential. 
It's a sense of being the best self that we were created to be. This is why we passionately pursue certain fields of endeavor, like sport or a career or, or different things. It's, it's, it's all about needing to discover our potential and the, and the best that we can be and the best person that we can be. It's why we decide to become an expert about something or certain things that just grab your attention and you just love it. Yes? It's why, it's why he's not here this morning, so I can say this. It's why Dave Morgan has an issue around coffee. It's his self-accusation needs. <laughs> Seeing his potential of his home brews and his cold brews of coffee. It's the things that grab your attention. Yeah, it's, it's the things that, that just light up your world. Like it might be mountain biking or something. It's, 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 just, you just, it's, it's how you discover who you are. You know, and, and this is not a, a new age kind of like, ooh, staring at my navel thing. This is a, this is a God put the desire inside each and every one of us thing. The potential that God has placed in you. Yet statistics say this, that only 2% of people live at this level of fulfillment. That they really can see and understand their potential. The last one is a transcendence needs. This is what I want to finish on this morning. A transcendence needs. Makes it sound like, woo, kind of. But I think the transcendent need is the greatest need a person has in their life. It's why we get up in the mornings. It's why we endure all the things that life throws at us. It reflects our compassion, our sympathy, and our caregiving. It's the times when we look beyond our own needs and help others, not out of obligation because we feel like we have to, but from a joy of helping meet somebody else's needs. And I truly believe that this need can only really truly be, be met when our other needs have been satisfied. We can't help somebody else until our needs have been met. And that's what promise number four is all about. It's all about transcendent need. The word transcendent means exceeding usual limits, surpassing, extending beyond the limits of ordinary experience and beyond comprehension. Let me read that again for you, and I want you to think what scripture this reminds you of. Exceeding usual limits, surpassing, extending beyond the limits of ordinary experience, beyond comprehension. To me, it sounds like Ephesians 3.20, which says, Now glory be to God, who is by his mighty power at work within us, able to do more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts and hopes. Promise 4 is all about doing something beyond ourselves. It's all about living a life beyond our limits. It's all about doing the impossible with a possible God. It's all about becoming extraordinary in our ordinary as God gets in contact with it. You see, it's all about you being a world changer. Transcendent needs is about us becoming world changers. It's about us changing our world. It's, it's how God sees you. God sees you as a world changer. God sees you as somebody that can turn up this community upside down for Jesus Christ or your family or your school or your workplace. It's how God 
God sees you. It's what he lives for. The satisfaction only comes, though, in the middle of the action and not on the sidelines. You can't sit on the sidelines and have this kind of need met. You cannot sit on the sidelines of life and hope somehow that this transcendent need will be met. It only is met when we're in the middle of the action, when we're doing something. Ultimate fulfillment comes in our lives when we are living beyond our wildest dreams living beyond ourselves, pouring our passion into service. And when we do that, we change the world. We change the world. When we do the thing that we're passionate about, that God's called us to, we change the world. And so a question we'll have this morning is, why don't I see myself then as a world changer if that's what God's put in me? Well, we're going to discover that next week. But as the musicians and singers come, I just want to share something very quickly with you. It's called the promise of praise. But the Israelites call it something different. The Israelites call this, and I want you to grab this this morning. The Israelites call this the hallelujah promise. (laughs) Isn't that cool? The hallelujah promise. Hallelujah sounds like a bit of a funny name, doesn't it? The hallelujah promise, the root word for hallelujah is halal, which means to celebrate, to boast, to rave, an exclamation of victory after one has experienced some level of fulfillment. This is what it is all about. It's the hallelujah after that moment that God has used you in a way that brings so much fulfillment in your life. It's like, oh my goodness, this is, life is so good. Like, like God has done so much for me. I, I think about even the testimony we shared this morning as I watched Ireland preach in Fiji on the Sunday night and share that testimony. There's a sense of fulfillment. There's a hallelujah promise happening right there in that moment. There's a hallelujah promise happening in each and every one of our lives when we, when we actually step out and we do something and we do something for somebody that brings about a change and we think, wow, this is so cool. I never thought that God could use me like this. I never thought God could do this through me. And there's this praise, there's this hallelujah that comes on the inside. It's a, it's, for them, it was a celebration of becoming a new nation after their rescue and deliverance from Egypt. They rejoice because they now identify as part of God's family and they praise God for giving them fulfilled life and a purposeful life that makes a difference in the world. It's the hallelujah at the end of something great that has happened. It's the praise that's continuously on our lips, as the psalmist said, because he understands that Things like goodness and mercy follows him all the days of our lives. It's the, it's the ability to sit back and go, wow, I've been saved. Oh, wow, I've been delivered. Wow, I've been redeemed. Hallelujah, his promises have come to pass. As we start to step out and, and start to help people and do things in people's worlds, it's that transcendent need is met as we understand that the greatest fulfillment in life is not what I can do for me, but what God can do through me for someone else. And it brings a hallelujah to your world. It brings something that nothing else does. And we, we just want to go, man, thank you, God, so much that you're working through me and for me, that you're doing this for me. This is so amazing because the first three promises is all about you, but the last promise is always about someone else. And that's what brings the hallelujah into our lives. That's what brings the praise. The salvation, deliverance, and redemption is awesome, but it's when we step out of ourselves and we start to meet the needs of others that the hallelujah promise really comes alive. 
And I want to encourage you, don't get stuck in salvation. Don't get stuck in deliverance. Don't get stuck in your redemption, but step into the hallelujah promise. Step into the hallelujah promise. Step into the hallelujah promise. And so we're going to do a little bit of a hallelujah this morning. Why don't you get to your feet this morning? Come on. Come on. Put your hands together. Let's give him some hallelujah praise this morning. Come on.